What's up, storytellers? Uh, welcome to the Impactful Writing Podcast from the Story Geeks and Reclamation Society. You may notice that I'm not Jay Shear, co-writer and director of Death of a Bounty Hunter, and you would be right. I'm Caleb Monroe. Uh, Jay's traveling this week. He's not able to join us, uh, but never fear. I am joined by the fantastic Rachel Hemsley. Rachel is a writer of novels and screenplays. Um, she also produces and directs. She has writing experience in pretty much every genre and medium from a chapter book for kids called M of the Winds. Uh, she currently writes and produces for a variety of YouTube content. Welcome, Rachel. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great, Caleb. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> uh, I am good. I'm good now that we're talking about writing. Yes. <laughs> Favorite subjects. Yes. Today we'll be talking about how to become a better writer. Uh, a friend and a fellow writer brought this up, this subject up this week, and I realized that you know, there's a lot of resources out there for how to get better at this part of your writing or that part of your writing. Um, but the, the overall question, the larger question of how not just to improve your writing, but to improve as a writer um, doesn't get discussed nearly as much. So we are here today to try to um, cover it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to look at some traditional, some less traditional, and perhaps even some unexpected uh, ways to become a better writer. Um, so we're going to start with traditional pieces of advice we've heard from multiple sources that have proven themselves and to work in our own process. Um, uh, Rachel and I have not compared uh, advice, so we may so we may end up completely having different ideas, or we may end up having a lot of the same ideas, um, uh, which uh, we'll see how it goes. It's different for every writer, right? So uh, Rachel, what would be a traditional piece of advice that you would have for someone how to become a better writer? Oh man, well the one I get, no matter who I talk to, if anyone has ever written anything, the first thing they say is write every single day. That's like the first thing I always hear. And I, I honestly think it's so true. I mean, for me as a writer, I'm just so, my mind is so creatively active all the time that if I don't write every day, I feel it. I really do feel it. Um, it's just like it kind of bottlenecks up. But I mean, I really think, you know, if you're writing every day, not only does it put you in a good routine as a person, because you know, as a creative, it's so easy to not follow a routine and to just kind of be, oh yeah, whatever, like I, you know, loosey goosey with it. And then sometimes you don't write or, you know, but structure is really hard for creatives. And so that has really helped me just every day carving out, even if it's like 10 minutes, um, it really, it just, it's, it's so releasing and, and good for the mental health of a writer, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, when you are when you are wired to be a writer, it's interesting how all the other annoying parts of life get a little bit easier if you're writing each day. I I you know I don't know how to explain that phenomenon, but the rest of life feels a little easier to handle if I'm if I'm writing. Uh, I like I like that advice a lot. I write six days a week, and I take a Sabbath on the seventh. That's awesome. Um, and and I count that as part of my writing streak. So I. Uh, I, I think the six days of work make the day off significant and the day off makes the six days of work significant. And so I, if, if I write that day, I actually mark it as an X. I, like I did not, I did not maintain my streak because the, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, but if I, if I took a day off, didn't write that day, then I count that as part of my, my writing streak. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a glimpse into my brain. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, definitely you know, people get burned out so quickly, especially if they're writing, they're working on the same project. I think 
what I found is I definitely have days where I'm not writing as much as I'm, I guess, just ruminating on ideas. Like even that to me is helping me um, like get that creative outlet, even though I'm not physically writing. Yeah. So like even just like reading through past ideas that I've had and just kind of letting those re-germinate. Um, yeah. It's like any kind of that creative outlet. Yeah. I think is important. Yeah. And um and and you don't always know which version of you is going to show up that day, right? Like yeah. you, you may be planning a certain scene, but when you get there, you're like, you know what? The version of me that can write that scene is not here today, but the version of me that can handle the the scene three three more scenes down the road is here today. So let's uh, let's skip over to that. Let's do that, or you know, um, or or, totally or, or project. Yes, <laughs> totally yes. exactly. So pay attention to which version of you has showed up that day. Um, try to go with the flow. I think. Um, yeah. I, my first piece of advice, I think, is to do everything you can to have a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was starting writing for the screen, I was part of a scene study class in Atlanta. And the rule for the scene study class was that everything that was performed there had to have been written by someone there. So, um, so we were constantly, it was like a laboratory, constantly writing new scenes and putting them up with a partner. But then every week we also had to do, we had like 20 minutes to do what we called fodder scenes, which you'd go with a partner, write something, and then immediately put it back, put it on in front of everyone. Uh, and you would, and you would do that, do that. That was two nights a week. So that feedback loop, I think, uh, just writing it and then immediately watching whether it works or not in front of people, writing it and immediately watching that feedback loop was invaluable for helping me become a better writer. And comic books kind of has that same you know, I write a comic script and then a few months later that's, that comic comes out and I see like, oh, you know, did I, I get the art back from the artist actually, I should say, before it even comes out. I'm like, oh, you know what? I could have described that a little better uh, to help the artist here. Like I could have maybe, I could have been more precise. And so that same sort of feedback loop. So I would recommend getting a feedback loop of some sorts. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a part of a writer's group and we're actually all women, which is a really, cool dynamic and i feel like uh there, there's so much value to be had in that um but a lot of the people in my group they write both uh like literary and screenplay and so you you really get a mix and i think that that's also really great because you get kind of the perspectives from the different backgrounds like you know somebody who writes novels will read your screenplay and give you very different feedback than somebody who writes screenplays and reads your screenplay or vice versa you know um, it's interesting how, you know, getting feedback from different people, the, depending also on their personalities, how different the feedback will be. It's, it's mm -hmm. very funny. Um, yeah. and I, I've learned when to ask certain people for feedback on certain projects. Like, okay, this person is really, you know, well-read or really into the, you know, fantasy genre. So I want them to read my fantasy novel and, and give feedback first, you know, and, and it's, it's funny how you can like pick people for mm -hmm. expertise, but then also get people who just have no idea and just going into a cold. Right, sometimes you pick them for their lack of expertise. You exactly. know, like, does yeah. this make sense to you if you haven't been reading this genre for 25 years, you know? Um. <laughs> that even some very interesting feedback. You're like, so what's a, what's a fae? And you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> I should explain that, shouldn't I? Right, yeah, what do you mean? It makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're foreshadowing some of my some of my future things that I, I'm going to bring up in this episode about becoming a better writer. Fantastic. Okay, well, um, we'll get there then. Uh, what would your What would your next traditional piece of advice be? Um, well, actually, the writers like feedback and writers group was one of them. Um, 
I think another one is, uh, for me, I think having, having people, I think, um, like I said, it kind of goes with the same thing who you trust to, uh, like circulate your work even beyond like just your immediate writers group. Like, I don't know, like I found so much value in having different age groups also read it. Uh, that was a big thing for me, like having my grandpa read something versus somebody my age. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of in the same vein though. Um, I guess with another thing is character wise for me is when I'm working on characters, um, really trying to work against cliches. I think so many, so often it's like the first character that pops into our head for something is something we've seen before, something that's, you know, kind of traditional, but I guess forcing myself to be like, okay, so this is how this character is now. What can I add or what can I take away that really makes them unique and different? And that's something that I, I challenge myself to do that I know a lot of people um, have told me a bit they do as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I try to throw away my first four ideas, um, yeah. like for how to solve a problem, because um, they start getting really interesting after that, <laughs> um, yeah. and and they're a lot less traditional. And you know what? I learned that in the scene study class in Atlanta, um, where he was teaching us how to go to auditions as actors, and he said when you get when you get the sides, the first three ideas you have for how to play that character, throw them away because everyone in the room is everyone in the hallway is going to do that when they go in there because that's what everyone is going to do one of those three so make sure that you go to your fourth or your fifth idea because then at least you'll stand out yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, I, I do that with writing as well <laughs> um well to, to talk about groups so that's also one of the traditional things i was going to bring up is a writer's group uh, i belong to a couple writers groups. Um, one is primarily screenwriters, um, although Danae from your writing group is is also a part of it, and so and she plays in both worlds. And we we have some people writing novels um, in the group. And then I'm also part of a a literary group, and everyone there is writing novels or short stories. Um, so I'm the odd person out, and uh, it's great to get those perspectives from those different point of views. But I've been thinking a lot lately about exactly why a writing group helps. Um, and so I guess, I guess I I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, tell you why I think writing groups are, are valuable and then I'm also gonna give it a, a caution. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I think that what the true, the greatest, highest value of writing group is that it teaches you how to recognize your own voice and vision. Mm -hmm. It's not about, it's not as much about making this particular script better because this person has an idea on how you can fix that slow part in act two. It's about listening to everyone's ideas about how you can fix that slow part in act two and realizing which ones work in your world, in your story, which ones feel right, which ones feel wrong. Um, and uh, learning who you are, your, your voice and your vision. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the, the main part you're learning to like, what notes work for you and don't work for you. And then you're starting to learn why, because you're like, well, why is that? Do I, do I gravitate towards that one and not the other one? Um, so you'll end up, I think you just end up knowing who you are as a writer. And I think that's the true strength, not having a, a tweaked, rewritten, better script. Um, and deadlines, uh, like you were saying, it can be hard for freelancers to stick to a schedule. So knowing that um, it's, 
it's coming up is uh, is great. Uh, C.S. Lewis um, had the literary group, The Inklings, that he hosted uh, in his office at Modlin College every Thursday night at Oxford. And he would famously begin every Thursday night by saying, all right, well, who's got new stuff for us to hear tonight? And so everyone knew that come Thursday night, he was going to demand that they have new stuff. And so, you know what I mean? Like it creates, uh, even for as writers as established and even ordered as they were, because they as Oxford professors, they had a little more structure. Um, still, there's that, just knowing that someone's gonna say, well, what have you got? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That, that's huge. Um, so then the, my warning about writers groups is watch out for what I call peer soup. Um, there, study after study shows that the way you get better at something is you try something a little harder um, than what you're able to do right now. And you spend time with people who are a little bit better than what than you are right now. And that's those are the two main ways that you get better at something, anything, you know, um, golf, violin, or, or whatever it is. And writing works that way too. And so you have to be careful because it's really hard in a writer's group for you. It doesn't work. The math doesn't work for everyone there to be a little bit better than you. Like <laughs> if you went around and everyone, like it, that doesn't work. And so one thing you do have to watch out for is that you have a lot of people of the same level of writing experience giving each other advice. Um, but the advice is at this level of writing experience. And what you really want is up here. And so I think, I, but I think that the, I still think they're totally invaluable, but I think that what, what you were saying about knowing who to get notes from on what uh, be is becomes crucial because there are people in the group who are going to be better at you when it comes to novel, better than you are when it comes to novels, even though you may be better than them at something else or better than you at characters and you may be better. You know what I mean? So it does kind of work out that you can all be better for each other, but you do have to watch out for that. It doesn't settle to the lowest common denominator, but instead that it's a tide that raises all ships. Um, and so uh, when, you, when you're looking for a group to join, I, I, I recommend looking for one where people are risking, they're writing something they haven't written before, or uh, even if they're horrible at it, um, just that they're, 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 they want to try and they want to grow. I, that's a great sign, I think, of, mm. of a writer's group to, to make yourself at home at. And then I guess related, the other side of peer soup, is that no one can really perceive your strengths and weaknesses um, as well as uh, like you can't perceive your strengths and weaknesses as well as other people usually because mm -hmm. you're so you're so far inside what it means for you to be a writer and how you write but it, this works with life advice too right like you're it's really easy to give up to see to see other someone's problem and understand like what a wise move would be. But then when you are having a similar problem, it, it just feels like a, a mess in a cloud and you can't, you can't see your way out. Um, which is why friends and community and groups are so valuable. But I think having other people who can weigh in on what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think more so than the strengths and weaknesses of the project that you may have brought to be critiqued or that you are reading that week, but in general, you know, like, yeah. What are what am I strong at as a writer? Um, and I would recommend that when you find out what your some of your strengths are as a writer, um, double down on those before you go and try to fix your weaknesses, uh, mm -hmm. because the things you're naturally strong at you'll, will carry you much further as you get and you'll get better at those much faster. Um, 
than if you than if you do it the other way around. Yeah, and so you know, sometimes I what I've done too, uh, sometimes in groups is you know we do little writing exercises and we'll you know tailor them to what our weaknesses are. So you know, with our big projects, like you said, honing in on our strengths, but then having these little opportunities to practice things that we might not be so good at, like writing constraints, right? So it's like okay, we yeah. have you know ten minutes and you have to only write using. I don't know, like a different vocabulary than you normally would or something like that, like in a different voice, kind of things that stretch you as a writer. So like small little uh, I guess exercises like that are also really fun and helpful to do in a group setting because you can kind of laugh at each other too, as you know, as you're, as you're learning. But um, I like what you said about honing in on your strengths. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have a, you kind of had a second and third piece of advice there together on the last one, but do you have any other traditional advice you'd like to give? Um, I, I've got one last one and then we can, then we can move into some less explored territory. Hmm. I think, I think the, the last traditional piece I would say is reading a lot. You know, if you're a screenwriter, reading screenplays, can be really enlightening and really cool. And, and the thing with, but it's like kind of a two parts, like cautionary, but then also, you know, a piece of advice. Like I think knowing what's out there, knowing what people are writing and what people are liking and what's popular is always valuable. But then also, you know, if you're a fantasy writer, I keep going back to fantasy, I don't know why, but if you're a fantasy writer, you read fantasy and that kind of fuels your creativity. It also, it kind of shows you different voices that different authors have and it kind of you know can help you find your voice um and so reading reading is also uh, you know a big thing for me but at the same time you know everyone's so different every author is different every screenwriter is different and so you know say you're reading a bunch of oscar-winning screenplays because you want to be an oscar-winning screenplay writer someday and you know th that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find your voice by reading those things um, and it, you know, the formatting and everything can be so different. And so I always take it with a grain of salt, but I, I think it is smart to really broaden your, uh, your reading horizons when you're a writer. Yes, I love that. I should have actually included it because I think that that's probably the place to start. If you want to become a better writer, read more, um, read anything, read widely. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I was listening to a novelist on another podcast. Um, it was the Writing Excuses podcast, if anyone listens to that. And I cannot remember the name of the of the novelist who was the guest that week. I'm I'm so sorry um, to whoever you were, but she was she was saying that um, she was saying reader you is so much more sophisticated and experienced than writer you. Because you've been reading since you were like, you know, five, six or whatever, whenever you started reading, you yeah. have not been writing that much. And you read constantly, even just even emails and, and, th and things online. The reader you has so many more hours packed away than the writer you um, that uh, like consult the reader you, you know, like because wow. it's it's probably smarter than you are as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, for me, too, I sometimes you find your inspiration and in who you are as a writer by reading. Like for me, uh, you mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier, reading C.S. Lewis growing up, I, I realized that what who I wanna be as a writer is someone who has the, the same kind of purpose behind the writing that C.S. Lewis does and who has you know that flexibility and the types of stories that, that C.S. Lewis does. And it really, it, it honed in who I wanna be. And I wouldn't have found that if I wasn't 
reading and if I didn't, you know, explore that. Yeah, I like, I think a lot of my major influences, I don't think people would be able to guess what they were by looking at my writing. Like it doesn't come out in the way that, it doesn't necessarily come out in style or even in subject matter, but there's something about way, the way someone thinks that will, that starts to inform the way you think. And of course the, the expression of your thoughts is gonna be unique to you. But um, yeah, it's, I think finding people who think in a way that, that sparks your interest is, uh, is great. What's an example of yours? Um, uh, so like the novelist Dan Simmons, I don't think that you're gonna, there's very little stylistic commonalities between what I'm doing in comics and what he does in novels. Um, and he has, uh, he has a much more Baroque and uh, educated um, style, more complex, more literary than, than me. Um, I tend to be a little more, I guess, pop culture-ish, my like, I guess, smoother stories, just sort of like fun and fast um, and high concept. So Dan Simmons would be an example. Like, I don't think you would see much similarity between his writing and my writing, but as a writer, he influenced me a lot. He, um, he almost gave up writing. He went to a, he was in his, I think he was in his forties. He went, he had been, he was a teacher at a school and he went to a writing conference and told his wife, he's like, you know, nothing has happened for, I think it had been over a decade. He'd been trying to sell work as a writer. He's like, nothing has happened. If, if nothing in, happens at this conference, then I'm just going to be happy being a teacher and I'm going to give it up. And he went there and Harlan Ellison was teaching one of the classes and Harlan Ellison was after hearing a story was like, you, sh that needs to get published and literally called and got the story into a contest, wow. uh, which it then won. Um, oh. and, and then that gave, that gave him the opportunity to, to sell some novels and his first three novels won, each of them won the highest award for the uh, genre that they were in. So he, he wrote a horror novel and it won the Bram Stoker. He wrote uh, um, science fiction and it won, I think, the Nebula and the Hugo, or between it and its its sequel, I think, and um, and then and wrote a fantasy novel and won the World Fantasy Award. So it's like over ten years getting nowhere, and then just sort of. Um, but you know, one of the big influences for me, and you were talking about this earlier, is that he um, those first three novels were all different genres. They were all different links. They were very different uh, mm -hmm. approaches to storytelling, um, levels of complexity. So that early on that taught me to, to just to keep moving and to, yeah. to, to not worry about uh, repeating a trick if, if I would rather try, try my hand at a new trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of my favorite quotes is, every story has been told, but you haven't told it. Or, you know, some variations of that are all over the place. It's so true, you gotta, you gotta trust your, your take on things. And no matter how long it takes, just keep going, just keep, keep the faith in a sense, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So my final piece of advice, and I'm going to do this quickly so that we can move on. Uh, and we also have a comment from Alexander that we're going to, uh, that we'll discuss. But my last piece of traditional writing advice is everything that you write, um, by all means, love it, be proud of it and send it out into the world. Like don't stick it in a drawer, send it out there, let it do its work. Like, like let other people say they don't want to buy it. Don't, don't go ahead and tell yourself ahead of time that no one wants to buy it. Um, Cause people buy things that 
I do not think are my best stuff and they don't buy things that I, I you know, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, too, it's, it's their taste and not yours. That's the whole point. So anyway, you've write something, you're proud of it, you send it out in the world. But uh, even within that pride, I just, I try to pick one thing that I wish I had pulled off better in that story. Um, I, you know, I, once it's out in the world, I don't go back and rewrite it unless I'm working with an editor or, you know, director or someone who, who's in a professional capacity because it's getting made. But, um, but I do, I'll take like, you know what, I, I really wish that I had, I had that my first three pages did more for the story, you know? And so in the next script, I'll try to make those first three pages um, do more for the story and be, you know, be a little less warm up and be a little more uh, heavy lifting. So I always just try to pick one thing and then I just try to be a little bit better at it in the next script. Um, yeah over time yeah, the perfect manuscript does not exist I, I <laughs> the hard way <laughs> yes no 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 scripts are finished they're all just abandoned uh, i can't remember who said that but <laughs> oh that's so sad but true yes um so alexander uh yes um when i when i was saying read widely i think reading in different genres um and different mediums uh, definitely makes you a, a better writer. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it a little bit from the writer from writing in different mediums in a minute. But as a reader, um, actually the first thing that I recommend people to read if they want to become a better writer is poetry. Um, buy books of poetry and read poetry because poetry is the bleeding edge of language. It's basically the R and D department of of language. Um, where people are trying things, trying to create images, um, often in, in very condensed ways or layered images. These are all things that you need to know whether you're writing a novel or a film. Like if you can create an image in three words instead of having to do it in a paragraph, you know. Um, and and with poetry, I would I say don't analyze it. Just read it. Just read. It's it's so fast to read. Just get a book of poetry, read it, um, and then get another one and read it. And just take note of the ones that you really like and go back to those and reread them and um, and maybe see if you can see how they did something. But um, don't read it like in English class. That's good. Um, <laughs> oh, and as far as which season writing excuses, I, that was in the spring. So I guess that's this season. It was, it was one of the episodes this year, Alex, uh, which I hope helps. Um, okay. So Let's talk about some non-traditional pieces of advice or less traditional pieces of advice that we've uncovered on our own over time. Um, what would be your first less traditional piece of advice, Rachel? Ooh, well, one of the one of the biggest things that I have learned is how to build characters and uh, specifically that every single character that you write, whether it's your main character, whether it's like a small little side character who may not even have lines every character has a good and a bad side. You know, there's something that you love about that character and there's something that you hate and, you know, something that they struggle with. And uh, when you do that, it, it gives such depth to the story that like a, a reader or an audience member will feel, even if you're not saying it or it's not like super obvious, just even knowing as a writer is huge. Um, and I mean, every villain believes in something and every hero has dark thoughts, you know? And, and really it's like when, when you throw in all these complexities, even if you don't like them, like I, I tend to fall in love with characters that I write that I I put things 
that are even like about myself that I don't like. Like I'll make a character um, like very flaky. And even though they're the hero and it's like, for me, that's like my biggest pet peeve is when people are flaky. And so it's like, okay, how does that affect this character, affect the story? Um, and not being afraid to, yeah, make your make your characters unusual and and, and flawed. And cause I, you know, I, I wanna always make my characters perfect. And that doesn't make for an interesting story, you know? Uh, yes, absolutely. And and I would say the, the, the other side of that is um, so early on, I was often guilty of trying to write something that was cool. Mm -hmm. And um, and again, I'm going back to the scene study class. I learned so much there. Uh, but I put up a scene that it was just, it was a fodder and it was not cool at all. The whole point was how uncool the main character was. And everyone loved it. Um, and the, the, the director of the, of the class said, you know, when you try to be cool, that's not cool. Trying to be cool is, an, is uncool. He's like, but when you're just honest and you're just yourself and you're the most you possible, then we love you and that's cool. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you can't be perfect. Don't try to be cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I fall in love with my villains. Um, at the end of all, at the end of almost every story, I have more affection for my villains than my heroes. Um, I, I I don't know what that dynamic is. I don't know why. I, I guess because you, I think you spend you spend so much time goodness in your heroes, and you spend so much time looking for it in your villain in order to write them convincingly. That I think there's something there, something there about why. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we kind of covered my first one. So I'll just. And that is that I think you should write in different mediums. So uh, this is very close to the read in different mediums, but I think you should write in as many, every medium that you become proficient at improves all the other mediums that you work in. So as I become a better comic writer, I think it makes me a better film writer and a better short story writer and, and vice versa all the way around. Mm -hmm. I do recommend having one genre that you're not trying to do professionally. Um, po poetry is actually a good example, but one th one place where you can just do whatever the hell you want and you're not worried about whether anyone likes it, because that is where you'll discover some of the most powerful things about your voice and your worldview that will inform the other things that you do. Um, so, but I'll, I'll, so I'll use my next piece of advice since that one was ties so well into what we were just talking about, but, and that is therapy. I highly recommend that you be in therapy or uh, or spend some time in therapy um, because, like I said, it's easier for other people to perceive us than it is for us to perceive ourselves. All of your characters are a side of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, no one is no one is in that story except you. It's just different versions of you, um, and so just learning how to live with yourself and understand yourself and um, and find parts of yourself that you didn't know were there, it's gonna make you better as a writer. Um, if nothing else, just because all your characters are sides of self. Yeah, or even just, you know, the methods that, a, you know, a good therapist will use to get at those things, you can use as a writer to get at your characters and, you know, throw things into different dynamics of scenes and 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 use those methods to like, pull pull the stuff you want out of the characters. Um, like I, I know advice that, uh, you know, mentors in my life will give me that really make me dig deep and think about different parts of myself I, I don't usually 
uh, think about or, or face, um, I'll use that in my writing and I'll, I'll have like a mentor figure, like say the same thing or, you know, whatnot. And it really, it, it exposes some cool stuff and it takes the stories in different ways that uh, you might not even have figured. And, yeah. and it's so funny how not that long ago, it feels saying you were in therapy was such a, was such a bad thing. It was such like, a, Oh, that person in therapy. Yeah. But you know, it's really, it's such a beautiful thing. And it, it is so beneficial. Um, I mean, even just having someone that you can just talk to if like, I know some, a couple of people who they just don't have a lot of uh, friends or peers and mentors in their life. They're just kind of, you know, isolated and having that person just to be able to open up to and be vulnerable with that. It makes such a difference in your life. Uh, and, and, you know, that having, you know, healthy mental health, uh, healthy mental health, that <laughs> it really, it, it affects all parts of your life, including your writing. Yes, for sure. Uh, Sophie, I see has a comment on staying motivated to finish an entire novel, script, or screenplay. I just want you to know that I see it, Sophie. We're going to talk about it a little later in the podcast because it, it ties into some things I'm, I'm going to bring up. Um, what's your next piece of less traditional advice, Rachel? Um, well, I mean, I... I feel like this could be traditional, but I mean, it wasn't for me. Um, write down every idea. And then when I like write down, keep all in, like I have one document that's like my dump document. And it's just every little idea that I have, even if I think it's ridiculous and it's stupid, it's not really gonna go anywhere, write it down because you never know what you could use it for or what's gonna spark later. I feel like the second that I start criticizing ideas before I even have a chance to unpack them and really see what they're about. I, I'm really just shooting myself in the foot and I'm, I'm incapacitating myself. And so even if I just have a little moment that pops in my head, like, oh, that would be a cool scene for something or just like an interaction between two characters and I'll write it down. And I can't tell you how many times I, I'll be working on something and I'll be stuck and in any medium and I'll go back and I'll read through that document and I'll see something and be like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Or like that, I could, I could kind of morph that to fit exactly what I need. And uh, you just, you never know, everything is usable in the right, in the right place. Sometimes it just takes a while to, to find that, that spot where you're going to use it. Yeah. Or sometimes it's just plugging the mouth of the river. Like you just need to get it out of the way so that the idea behind it can come out. <laughs> yeah. um, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, my last piece of sort of less traditional piece of advice, and this is a piece of advice that I just received back in February from a writer much more experienced than me. Um, I, I was at a workshop and had the opportunity to have lunch with um, Christine Catherine Rush, who's just, I think she's the only writer who's won a Hugo Award for both editing and writing the same year. Just so, so many awards in, in her career, um, so, so accomplished and uh, this workshop was really fascinating to me because it was it was a room of 50 people. All of them were good writers. You know, some of them had multiple novel series. The woman behind me had published 100 stories. Um, I, I mean, I had a comic career behind me at that time. So there's 50 good writers in a room. And as someone who builds community for writers here in Los Angeles, um, I was very impressed by that because it is hard to get 50 writers of any caliber in a room, let alone 50 like good writers. And um, I was so I asked her, like, how do you do it? How did you create this community? You know, and uh, she she said two things. One, she said you need to have some rules that will eliminate the people you don't want there. So uh, they have rules like no drinking, um, no 
no drugs, no sex. And, you know, and the workshop is in Vegas because that's where they live. And so there's, if someone is willing to go to Vegas and not do any of those things, you know, there's, they're serious about writing, but, you know, but if someone just is like hoping for a fun weekend in Vegas um, and they're using writing as the, as the vehicle for that, you, you eliminate them by having, having some stricter goals like that. Um, but, but the thing she said that really stuck with me is she's like, you know what, we don't look for craft um, because craft can be learned. So we don't look at for how good someone is as a writer. What we look for is drive. Um, because if they have the drive, they will learn the craft, um, yeah. but not, not necessarily the other way around. So now the way I turn that into a piece of advice <laughs> for writers um, is to, first of all, be honest with yourself. Do you have the drive? Um, uh, I have a friend and I have a saying that if anyone can be discouraged from writing, they should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if, if you can be discouraged from writing, it means you probably should be doing something else. But if you're just insanely stubborn, like I am, and you just can't stop, <laughs> um, then, um, then that's a good sign because it's going to take you probably 10 years to break in on average. It does. Uh, I mean, I just told the Dan Simmons story for me, it took seven years until I got paid work and 10 years until I went full time. Um, I, almost every writer I talked to in Hollywood, it was roughly 10 years. So um, so you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do this for the next 10 years with no results? Um, and other than just produce, getting better at what I do. And if your answer is no, or if that feels discouraging, then, then writing may be a, a, a hobby or a passion or an avocation. It never has to be something you stop, but it may not be the thing you want to do for a career. You know, you may not want your life to depend on it. Um, or your family's life. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and what I would say is try to, this is why I, I love Sophie's question, try to work on being motivated to write and being driven to do it on a regular basis before you try to work on getting better at it. You know, like don't, don't write the best outline in the world, but then never do anything else. Like mm -hmm. don't write a sloppy outline if if through that process, you're able to keep yourself going and just driven to do it. Yeah, even if it's, you know, a piece of crap, if it's finished, it's it's so much farther than just, you know, something you're continuously working on. I, I think there's also, you know, a distinction between, you know, writing, like driving and writing, like actually like writing stuff down and then being a storyteller. I find that there's a lot of difference sometimes in people. Like some people are like, I'm, I'm, I want to tell stories. I'm a storyteller and that's their drive, but they don't necessarily want to write and like write it down versus people that, you know, kind of have that mix of both or, you know, just, just the writer. It's very interesting. There are different levels as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many ways to tell stories, right? I mean, you can do you can do it at a bar with friends. Um, that's where some of the best stories are told, I think. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, uh, and Sophie, that was not my answer to your question, just because I referenced it again. I promise we are going to we are going to talk about that. Do you have any final, less traditional pieces of advice, Rachel? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think one thing that this kind of like circles back to to my C.S. Lewis, you know, inspiration. It's you know every Every story we create, everything that you know we we tell, it has a purpose. Like you're always saying something with your work, whether you you really intend to or not. And you know, for me as a writer, I, I really found that finding that that message, that theme, that purpose right away and kind of early on, it 
it really helps so much when you're writing. It helps your drive to finish it because it's like I, I want to I want to make this message known. I want to get it out there. I want to see it to completion. You know, sometimes you you start a story with asking a question and then you end it with answering it. Um, or like, you know, the character learns the lesson or however you do it, um, it really does drive you. And it really, it, it allows you to hone in on those elements in your characters and your plot twists and, you know, just telling the story. It makes it so much easier for me when I have that purpose in mind. It's kind of like a life, you know, a life advice too. Like, you, you know your purpose, everything just flows so much better and and easier and um you just you walk through life with so much more confidence and so you write with so much more confidence because like i have something i'm trying to say and 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 it just it really it makes such a difference for me yeah no you you um you just brought up the thing i was going to talk about a little bit later um uh and and, and which ties into the motivation question oh sophie so um yeah the way that i wrote it in my notes here is to know your metaphysic um, basically know what you believe about the universe and what's important in it and why anything matters. Um, and, and a simple way is, to do that is ask yourself, why is writing stories worth my limited time on this planet? Mm. Um, it's going to be time I'm not spending in relationship with people. It's going to be time I sp I'm not spending doing other things. Why is it worth that? And if you have an answer to that, that answer becomes the antidote to your fears your self-sabotage, your procrastination, your imposter syndrome, because you know it's important. Like it matters. I do think that this is worth spending my time over these other things in life. Um, I do believe it's significant. And because of that, uh, I, you keep going. And it's, I think that that's the, that's the heart of motivation. I think, I think you nailed it, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're in the, I guess, we would say the unexpected um, things that have made you personally a better writer. Um, and I say that knowing that for other writers, these things may be totally expected, right? We're all very um, unique in what works for us, uh, but there are usually some major principles. And so what, what would you give as your first unexpected piece of advice for writers? Mm. Uh, yeah, one, one thing, that I do a lot is um, have someone in mind or have a visual in mind when you're writing characters. And that can be different for different people. But for me, it's like if, if I have a, a visual in my head of like an actor or someone that I know or, you know, family member um, or someone, you know, I've heard a specific voice. Like I listen to this podcast and this person's voice, I just like see it fitting my character. Um, I've really found that you know, if you're, if you're have that in your head as you're writing, the characters come so easy. And I find that I'll, I'll rarely write something out of character. Like, you know, as you're, as you're going through, I feel like a lot of times, um, some notes and, you know, like writers groups, they'll be like, yeah, I don't feel like your character would do that, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I just really found that if you have a really strong vision in your head or visual in your head, um, and hear that character's voice, then you rarely do that. Um, and I think a lot of people, they're like, well, then you're not original. You're not coming up with, well, yeah, it can be. Like, yeah, I, I picture this actor, but it's still my character. And the story that they're in and the things that they do, it's still unique. And it's still its own animal. Um, but that's that, I'm such a visual person that mm -hmm. that is a huge thing for me that some people, you know. Might and, you, and you are writing it to be acted. So um, right. if, you, if you can't 
picture what you're, the words you're putting on the page being acted. Um, and I'm saying for screenwriters, but um, it works a little bit different uh, with prose because um, then you're kind of trying to do this mind control thing where you're trying to create in someone else's mind the picture that's in your mind. You still need a very strong visual for that. But for screenwriting, you're writing it to be acted. So if, in, if you can't imagine a person doing these things, it's probably not uh, the things for them to be doing. Yeah, but I mean, even in prose too, you know, when I'm like writing one of my novels, it's, you know, I, I've really found that I could have, like I have, okay, it's, it's, I picture Johnny Depp and he's in like the 1700s and he, he, he talks and he acts like Jack Sparrow and I'll write it that way and I'll describe the character that way because that's what's in my head. And then someone will read it and have a totally different picture in their head and they'll see it and they'll experience that character so much differently. So I found that, you know, no matter how precise you even try to be, there will always be different interpretations and different, you know, readings. But whatever they are, they'll be coherent because yeah. you, because yeah. you, you had pictured a person who acted a certain way and, and they were coherent because you knew who they were. And so uh, even if someone interprets it differently, it'll be a coherent interpretation, I think. So right. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so my, I guess my first piece of unexpected things that have made me personally better as a writer is um, lists of sayings or um, cards. So I have, uh, I particularly like this deck, Oblique Strategies. It's by Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt. I think it was most, most famously used when they were recording um, Heroes with David Bowie and Berlin. Um, but, it's just, I'll just show you a few just to give you an idea. So like reverse or faced with a choice, do both. Um, <laughs> honor thy error as a hidden intention. Um, look closely at the most embarrassing details and amplify them. Um, or this is my personal favorite, repetition is a form of change. Um, and so it's a whole deck of cards like that. And uh, I find that those really help me if I'm, if I'm stagnating to pull something out like that and, it, it, it creates lateral thinking because it breaks you out of the mental thing you're in and you're like, wait a minute, what is the choice? How would I do both? Or you know, what, what is the most embarrassing part of this? Or what error did I make that it actually maybe isn't an error, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and so then I, I collect sayings and I make my own decks as well in addition. Um, you know, so here's just a few, a few for, of mine, ask your body. Because I think so, so many times we're just dis, we're in our heads. Um, use your delusions to trick yourself past this obstacle. <laughs> um, why not? Why can't you do that? That's a big um, one. That's a big one. Yeah. Can the next ten moves be condensed into one? Um, burn it all down. And let's see. <laughs> Wonder, marvel, revel. Um, <laughs> So some of these some of these are things that I've written to myself, and a lot of them are things I've collected from all from all over sort of places. And um, so I have a I have I I what I'll do is I'll use these when I'm say I'm generating a story, and I know it needs to be about forty scenes long to be a full screenplay, and I'm I, like I've got twenty seven scenes, and I'm a, I'm stuck on like what else is going to make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. Then I'll take I don't sometimes as many as like thirty or thirty five of these and write a solution to the story or a scene for the story based on them, on all of them. Um, and then, and usually in that process, something gets shaken loose. And m m many of those ideas 
multiple of those ideas will go into the story, um, but it just forces me to think in completely different ways, card after card. Um, so yeah, lateral thinking cards, I guess would be how I would summarize it. Oblique strategies being a great place to start. That's so great. That's funny you say that. I have a book and I think it's like, it's piled, it's piled between like way too many books for me to actually pull out um, <laughs> like 2,500 something of the best things ever said. And it's literally just a book of quotes by anyone and everyone. And they're just absolutely fantastic quotes. And you know, a lot of them we've heard a thousand times and we see on like cat posters and stuff, but right. then so many that are so thought provoking that I've never heard before. And it's, it's different because like they're quotes. And so sometimes um, I'll use them the same way that you use your cards where it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to write that quote in literally, but it's like, okay, what is that saying? And, and how does that apply to my story? And how to even just inspiring ideas is huge for me. Like I'll read through when I'm stuck on something and be like, oh, that quote's a really interesting concept or that, that, that brings out a really interesting human dynamic. And then it gives me an idea, you know? So like having, having stuff like that is, is very helpful. Yeah. Or Pinterest, yes. scroll through Pinterest quotes. Mm -hmm. I'm, yes. I'm not or, or even Pinterest images, whatever, oh, yeah. how, however your brain works, find something that makes it work sideways um, yes. instead of, like instead that. of on the trails, uh, on the tracks that it's, that it tends to go on because that's how your brain works. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. How about you for the next? Do you have another piece of unexpected advice? Yeah, uh, consulting my list here. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this is one that I think uh, a lot of people disagree with, it, interestingly enough. But, you know, through, all through uh, school and learning how to write and writing classes and college and, you know, all those settings, um, even in writers groups sometimes, the big thing is like, okay, structure is important, right? You know, for screenplays, it's like, okay, are you the three act structure? If you're doing a pilot, is it a four act structure? Is it, you know, uh, see the cat, right? Is, is a book that they're telling everyone to read, you know, when you're getting into screenwriting, like, oh, this is the, the Bible of how to structure a screenplay. Um, or even in novels, it, it's like structuring, okay, you know, you have the introduction and you have the build up, and then the climax and then the third act and, you know, all that terminology we're so used to. But honestly, for me, what, what I found as I'm writing is when I'm writing the, the first draft of something, I, I try not to even think about structure and rules and writing rules. And, you know, it's, it's so hard when you're writing to think, oh, man, I'm, I'm already on page 40 and I feel like I'm still in act one and like, oh, this should have happened by now. But, you know, when you just get the story down and written it just in its raw, most pure form, and it might be you know 180 pages long, but it's there. Then I'll go back and I'll figure out. Okay, so now how can I, how can I condense? How can I um, add in the, the act structures now? How can I, uh, you know, apply rules or move things around that now give it more body and make it a little bit more, you know, uh, a better flow. And because I feel like so many people there, they, as they're writing, they, even in outlines, you know, you break up like, okay, this is first act, this is second act, this is third act. Um, well, sometimes, you know, those lines are so blurred, it can almost hinder you to, to do that. And so for, I, I found that I work better mm -hmm. doing that almost last, actually. Yeah, I agree. Jay and I talk about being 
some people are muse writers and some people are mechanics. So some people like assemble it like an engineer, then some people just sort of follow their feelings and, and, and end up somewhere. Um, I tend to also be a very intuitive writer. Um, uh, the most memorable terminology I learned for this was uh, when I worked at a comic shop, one of our customers was John Rogers who um, created the shows Leverage and the Librarians and uh, other things like that. And he just called it the, the puke draft. He's like, just, just puke everything you know about the story out onto paper in roughly the order it's going to be. Um, and then you have clay and to work with. Then you can sculpt something from your clay. Um, yeah, so yeah. Don't, yeah, don't be afraid to just go. And, and you know, the, the, the lines, those act one breaks, those act two breaks, I find that they're better dissection tools than building tools. Yeah. Um, it, if you don't know anything about three-act structure and you write a story, it will still have three-act structure because beginnings, middles, and ends are just how stories work. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so by bringing that to the foreground, instead of just letting the story take that shape naturally, because it's going to, by bringing it to the foreground, I think sometimes we trip ourselves up, particularly if you are an intuitive writer versus an, an, uh, a more uh, mechanical writer. Um, and and I, I'm not saying either of those is, is bad. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. again, going back to know your strengths and your weaknesses, like know how yeah. you how you build things um, and, and, and then take any advice that anyone gives you and compare it to that because maybe it doesn't work for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that that's the advice. Yeah, part is is if if you are if you're trying to do it one way or another, like you're just doing puke drafts, but you feel like oh, I just feel like it's all over the place. Like I can't organize myself. Then yeah, maybe maybe you need to to do more outline or you need to do more of like taking the structure into account. Um, but I, I I guess more often than not, I talk to people who are just they struggle trying to get the constraints down first and then and then fill in the gaps. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, if one isn't working, try the other and, and don't feel like one is right or one is wrong. Yeah, just like, um, don't be proud about any part of your writing process. Like if something doesn't feel like it's working, just set it aside and try, try something else. Try anything else. Don't, even something that you may have looked down on in the past or felt like it just wasn't for you or didn't fit with you, uh, try it, try it anyway. I. Um, one of the things that I love about writing is, so soccer practice is not the same as playing a game of soccer. Violin practice is not the same as playing a concerto, but writing is the same as writing practice. Um, like, like all the finished products that you're writing are also practice for you. It's, they're actually, they're the same thing in writing. And so, um, yeah, so don't constrain yourself. In, in your practice, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so I, I've got two quick ones here at the end. We'll see if you have any finals and then we'll wrap up. Um, one is I only try to, my only goal every day is to write two sentences. And I can't remember if I've talked about that on this podcast or not. So if anyone is hearing this for the second time, forgive me, but uh, it'll just um, hammer home how important I think it is. But um, years ago I was reading, um, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, great book for anyone on any creative endeavor. And he quotes Somerset Maugham, the novelist, um, who said, you know, I only write when I'm inspired. Luckily, I'm inspired every morning at 9 a.m. And, you know, that's like, that's a pretty rad quote, but it doesn't really help you figure out how to be inspired every morning at 9 a.m. It's just, you know, but years, years later in a different book called 
I think it is called Daily Rituals, um, where it was just it, the book just compiled the daily rituals of all sorts of people, whether that uh, influential people through through the years. And Somerset Mom was one of them. And when I heard the rest of his morning, then I understood his quote about nine o'clock because at eight a.m. he would get up and have breakfast. At eight thirty, he would take a bath. In the bath, he would compose in his mind his first two sentences of the day so that when he sat down at nine, he already had two sentences. And um, if you have two sentences, your brain will automatically start filling in the third and the fourth and the fifth before you know it. Um, um, so that is my only goal. Like I don't tell myself I'm going to write for two hours or I'm going to get this many words done or this many pages. I say I'm going to write two sentences today. And every now and then, that's all I write. Um, but usually I'm just like, oh, and there's a third. Oh, and there's a fourth. And, and before I know it, I've written for two hours. But if I told myself I was going to sit down and write for two hours, I would have had much more resistance to that idea. I would have been more inclined to procrastinate. But two sentences feel so easy to do that it, it just makes it really easy to start. So um, I would say that is one. I only, and after my second sentence, I say out loud, today was a success. Um, just, just to affirm, like, I'm doing it. You know, I'm my, my writing strike. I'm, I'm making stuff. I'm, I'm you know, um, and um, and then the final one I would say, and this you this came to my mind when you were talking earlier about mentors uh, and you talked about that somewhere near talking about C.S. Lewis. And um, so one untraditional piece of advice that you may want to try is have a imaginary board of directors or an imaginary writers group. Um, and just the writers who have meant the most to you, whether they're alive or dead, um, imagine reading this to them and what they would say. Uh, and your brain will come up with, playing those characters, your brain will come up with usually some very good advice that, again, you would not have just traditionally and easily thought of. So sometimes I'll take a story and I'll show it to Charles Williams or I'll show it to Flannery O'Connor. Um, or, or, you know, or, or whoever it is, Tolkien or Thomas Merton or Dante. Uh, John of the Cross, um, Dan Simmons, who I mentioned earlier, Harlan Ellison. Um, I, I'll take I'll take a story and just show it to them, and and see what their advice is, um, and that almost always helps. Wow, I love that. I definitely want to start doing that. Yeah, I feel like showing Hemingway versus like Tolkien would be. Very different. Yeah, you're going to get very different advice from them, right? Even though it's all in your head, they will tell you different things about the story. Um, and yeah, so it's, and knowing who to show what stories to. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love that. I really um, but we are writers. We're very imaginative creatures. So why not use that? You know, going back to like, what are your delusions? Can you trick yourself past this obstacle? Um, mm -hmm. that is, that is a way, that is a way to use your delusions for your, for your, your good. <laughs> it is indeed. It is. Um, do you have any final advice for writers out there, Rachel? Uh, I guess just as a closing for me is, you know, you, every story, you got to start by loving it yourself. Like, would you read the story you're writing? You know, that's, that's the first thing it's like, yeah, if, if I'm writing something, I'm like, you know what? I don't really, I, I'm not in love with this. Like, I don't, I don't, this doesn't, this isn't something I'd read. This isn't something, you know, I'd necessarily enjoy as a reader. I, more often than not, I'll just kind of abandon it or I'll save parts of it for later. It's like everything, everything has to start with you loving it. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I, and things you can grow. Like sometimes it's like, oh, I don't think I like this. But then as you go, it, it gets more and more 
interesting, but you know, or if you have something that you have to write or you have to work on that you don't love, it's like, okay, well find, find that thing in the story. Like, it, you know, say you get commissioned to write a screenplay or a, you know, a comic book or a, a novel or whatever it is. And you don't really like the concept, but you have to do it. And it's like, okay, well, what, what about this could I love? Could I fall in love with, you know? And, and I think that's where you find inspiration and maybe places you didn't think you would. And because, you know, we're all going to have those times. And so how do you, how do you fall in love with everything and, and make it worthwhile? Kind of go back to the purpose thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's fantastic. I, um, I, I ask myself, you know, do I want this in the world? Like, am I creating something that I want to see in the world? Because if I don't want to see it in the world, then why am I bothering? And, yeah. and, and even when I'm commissioned, then I'm like, okay, well, if I, if this thing has to exist in the world, like what version of it do I want? Yes. You know, <laughs> power. Yeah. 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 A lot of power. Um, so Rachel, how can people learn more about you or find you online? or social media? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely like Facebook right now, um, Instagram. So my, my book is called Emma of Wins. And so look it up, it's really fun. Um, yeah, I'll be having a new website soon. It's all under construction at the moment. Um, gonna be coming out with an audio book, hopefully in the new year. So a lot of cool things coming down the pipelines, but yeah, you can always just search my name. I'm always, <laughs> awesome. I love people reach out to me too and just ask questions or wanna get coffee or what now. I, I love that, so definitely feel free. <laughs> All right. Now you're going to get inundated with invitations to coffee, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I do the same thing. Um, and, and that's kind of how we met, although we had to do it over Zoom, um, but we had a Zoom coffee. Uh, so I'm Caleb Monroe. You can find out more about me at calebmonroe.com. Um, Jay will be back with me next week. Um, and since it is in the process of coming out now, I'm going to plug his full cast audio book, which he co-wrote and is the director of um, deathofabountyhunter.com is where you can find that. Uh, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you so much. Uh, those of you who watched with us and, and <laughs> went on this weird journey with us for an hour. And <laughs> we'll see you next time, storytellers. All right.